downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. And named Elijah, but his influence or his narrative has kind of gone to the side. And there's a king in a nation called Israel. Israel was God's chosen people. Around 1000 BC, God's focus of his attention were on the Jewish people, God's chosen people, this nation of Israel. There was a civil war between this nation, and the nation of Israel proper would be the northern kingdom, and then Judah would be the southern kingdom, though they were all one nation. After this civil war, the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah were separated. To be honest, after the civil war, the northern tribes or the northern nation went into idolatry and wickedness quite uh, very quickly. The nation of Judah at the southern part of what God's united kingdom at one time was would follow the Lord. The people of David, Solomon, and their descendants, they would carry that heritage moving forward. Today, as we look at 1 Kings 22, we're going to see the conclusion of a very wicked man. His name is Ahab. And if you've been with us for a few weeks, you remember how bad Ahab was. The Bible says that if you were to take figuratively all of the sins of the kings of Israel and stack them up in a pile, oh, it would have been a big pile. But Ahab, if you were to stack all of his sins and wrongdoing alone would be greater than all the combined sins of everybody else. Oh, Ahab made some poor choices. Ahab was evil. Ahab was wrong. And because of that, he would experience the judgment and hand of punishment from God Almighty in his life. Today, we're going to look at a story called Sorry Not Sorry. And I want to ask you this. How many of you played games growing up? Yeah. One of our fun family things to do as kids were to play games as a family. We play all sorts of games. One of our favorites was this game, Monopoly. And you, and you could play Monopoly for hours, can't you? In fact, Luke is now at a place, nine-year-old Luke, my son, he's at a place where he can play Monopoly. And Luke wants to play Monopoly all the time. We found out a way. We'll take half of the property cards and at random, we'll distribute them so it kind of moves the game along. Instead of being six hours, it only becomes five hours and 30 minutes. So it really helps to make that thing a lot faster, getting around the board. Question here, what happens in your home when you land on this space? Yeah, that's a good question, huh? In our house, there's a great big disagreement between the socialists and the capitalists on what happens in this place. How many of you, you get free money when you land on free parking? You socialists, how many of you? How many of you are capitalists and say, no, there's nothing in there, all right? But how many of you are capitalists that don't mind when the socialists give you free money? Okay, that's... And that is the state of America today. We're all about our principle until we land on free parking. I'll take my stimmy. Um, so we would play these games. We play these opportunities. We would play this game. We play this game, Risk. Anyone play Risk? The game of global domination. Have you ever thought about the fact that Risk, in order to win Risk, you have to roll six, six, six? YouTube video coming soon on the conspiracy of risk, all right? So we would play that game. In fact, oftentimes on Thanksgiving, we would play that game. Uh, one of our favorite games to play just as kids was this game. 
How many of you know the name of this game? If you know the name, sorry. If you don't know the rules of this game, I'm sorry, you had a bad childhood. But this game is a fun game, uh, and you would draw cards, and when you draw cards, you were able to come out of home, and you could go around the board based upon where you were, uh, what the cards told you, and the goal was to get into the safe spot or get into the base and uh, buy the draw of the cards. The unique thing about sorry was if you landed on the same spot as somebody else, you would send your other person's, uh, or your opponent's token or their game piece all the way back to base. It doesn't matter if they had gone all the way around the board. If you landed on the same space as them, you would have to knock their token. And when you knock their token, you would say, what's funny about that game is whenever you play sorry, the truth is you might say sorry, but you're not sorry. In fact, that's the whole point of the game. Sorry, not sorry. Because this is something that just happens. When you're in a competition and when there's affections going from one side or another, though you might say, oh, I'm sorry, in the truth, you're not sorry at all. In 1 Kings chapter 22, we see a contest between two ideals. We see a contest between a man who is evil who's churlish, he's antagonistic towards the things of God with his life. And we see another man whose life has been lived in devotion to Almighty God. And with this man who has a pure heart and apparent pure motives before a holy God, there is a reason for them to align themselves. And in that alignment, from the outside looking in, you might think that's a good idea, or perhaps that was wise, or that is even noble in its motives. But today we're going to see that in that conflict between good and evil, there is no middle ground. There are no gray areas. There's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser. If you have your Bibles in 1 Kings chapter 22 and verse number 1, the story opens up with these words. It says, And they continued three years without war between Syria and Israel. The wicked king of Ahab has enjoyed peace because through the holy hand of God, they were able to strike back the pagan advances of Syria into their kingdom. And so for three years, there is peace. But he becomes restless in his ambition, and he enlists the help of a godly person to advance his own agenda. Verse 2, the Bible says, and it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, say Jehoshaphat. Isn't that just a fun name to say? (laughs) Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. Now, as we mentioned earlier, Ahab, Israel, bad. Jehoshaphat, Judah, good. Jehoshaphat is a lover of God. He follows the precepts of the Ten Commandments. He is leading his people in doing that which is good and holy before the Lord. Ahab is doing everything wrong. But Ahab, can you imagine him in his Jafar-type way saying, would you come down and fight with me? And look what verse number three says. The Bible says, And the king of Israel said unto his servants, Know that Ramoth and Gilead is ours, and we be still, and take it not in the hand of the king of Syria. And he says to Jehoshaphat, Wilt thou go with me to battle at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, I am as thou art, 
You and me, we're brothers. My people as thy people and my horses as thy horses. We are one. We are in this together. We're a band of brothers. Father, I pray that you'd help us today to learn some truths from this scripture that will be a help to these, your people, as they've been a help to me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to see point number one, a band of brothers, and I want you to see that Judah has a new king. Four years after Ahab advances to the throne, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, comes to reign in his nation, and his reforms are sweeping, they are righteous, they are good. Everything under Jehoshaphat is wonderful. The, uh, the bad numbers are low. Unemployment, oil prices, inflation, all of those things are low. All of the things that are good, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, it is high. The, things, uh, the mortgage values, they are high. Everything that you want is high under Jehoshaphat. The appreciation of God is high. People are worshiping God. Sins that had been excused and even permitted and even celebrated have now been uh, abandoned and pushed out of the land of Judah. And Judah's new king, Jehoshaphat, has set up some wonderful social reforms and advanced the agenda of God. He was the heir to David's throne. So Jehoshaphat has a wonderful heritage. His great-great-grandfather was the man who stood before a giant and with nothing but a sling and a stone, unfurled that stone and it lodged in the forehead of a giant. And Goliath fell to his demise as David put up his head and said, the Lord, he's God, look at what God did. He has a wonderful heritage. There is wisdom in his family. Solomon, the author, through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, had shown him all of the precepts of what a king should and what a king should not do. His, no doubt, his great-great-grandmother Bathsheba would have given them precepts in Proverbs chapter 31 that he had adopted and learned. Oh, and he had wealth. He had so much wealth because he was the heir to David's throne. He had a pure heart. With Jehoshaphat, he wanted to serve the Lord. He wanted to please God. He wanted to lift up the temple and the worship of the one true God, Jehovah. And he improved all areas of life, socially, economically, spiritually. The entire nation was on an incline. And it's no wonder that Ahab sees all of the good things that are happening there and wants to tap into it. Jehoshaphat, it appears, has a noble kinship. If you were living during that time and an heir of David, no doubt in your mind there would be a desire to try to bring together the unity of that united kingdom, to bring all the tribes, Zebulun, Dan, Naphtali, Asher, Gad, uh, uh, Ephraim, Manasseh, Judah, Benjamin. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we were all housed under one roof again, not divided between north and south, but if we could just bring us all together again and there's some things that Ahab does that I don't agree with, and there's some practices, but I think that there is maybe some good inside of him. And so you almost feel the bleeding heart of Jehoshaphat in a noble intent, wanting to reunite and bring back this fellowship that had once existed only about a hundred years or so ago. And so when you look at Jehoshaphat, you see a wonderful intent. In verse number five, the Bible says, and Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, inquire I pray thee at the word of the Lord today. Hey, I am with you, Ahab. Let's make sure that we ask 
the Lord what he wants us to do. Now, I want you to take keen attention to look at verse number five, and then I want you to take keen attention to look at verse number six. The Bible says, and Jehoshaphat says to Ahab, the king of Israel, inquire before we go to battle, inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Jehoshaphat is going to justify and neglect knowledge given to him by Almighty God. First of all, he's about to endeavor in an unnecessary battle. There was no immediate conflict in Judah. There was no immediate conflict against Israel. This was the envious covetousness of Ahab saying, we want to expand the reach of our kingdom. We want to take over those disputed borderlines. He's about to engage in an unnecessary battle, but he's also about to ignore a tension. In verse number six, the Bible says, then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men. Now the prophets here, when we think of them biblically, we feel that they are good, they are noble, they're holy in their intent, but these 400 prophets had no holiness to them. These are the same prophets that were followers of Baal. You can cross-reference this and go to 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse number 19, where the Bible tells us that 400 false prophets of Baal were fed every night at Ahab and Jezebel's table. Every night there was feasting. Every night there was debauchery. Every night there was praise of the false god Baal at the very king's table, and it was all supplied through the wealth of the federal income given by Ahab and Jezebel. And so when Jehoshaphat has a tension with inside of him, he says, let's go to God about this. And he uses the name, let's use Let's go to the Lord. Look at verse number six, and the Bible says, there were about 400 men, and all 400 of them said, shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? Should we go or not go? And they said, go up, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. Now, I need you to do me a favor. Take the next 15 seconds, and I want you to compare the name Lord in verse number five with the word Lord in verse number six. So take 15 seconds, and I want you to see the difference between the name Lord in verse five and the word Lord in verse number six. You have 10 seconds left, and now you have eight. No pressure, but there's only five seconds left. Three seconds two and one. If you saw the difference between the word in verse five and the word in verse six, say yes. If you have no clue, don't answer out loud because we will shame you. In verse number five, the word Lord is in all capital letters. Did you notice that? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's because in our English Bible, when you see that word, it is the proper name of God. The proper name of God, as known by these people, is Jehovah or Yahweh. So whenever you see that in the Old Testament, the name Lord, it is the proper name of God. Jehoshaphat knows God. Jehoshaphat is a follower of the one true God. When the prophets of Baal use that word Lord, capital L, lowercase o-r-d, It is not the name Jehovah, it is the generic, excuse this phrase, it is the generic name of God or the generic title of God. It's the Hebrew word Adonai. 
Jehovah, I want to know what Jehovah wants to do. We will tell you what God says. Now, this is important. Jehoshaphat knows God. The prophets know about God. We're going to tell you about God. We're going to tell you about his majesty. We're going to tell you about his will. We're going to tell you about things that we have seen. We have observed these things. This is the practices that we have observed. We've seen other prophets do this. So let us tell you about God. This is so important. You do not need people just to tell you about God. You need to know God. You see, Christianity is not just a system of following rules and beliefs and going through some religious practices. People that know God understand that we're all sinners, aren't we? I'm no better than you, and you're no better than me. The Bible tells us that because we've sinned, we'll never be good enough to get to heaven. Because of our sin, we deserve to be damned and go to hell. But that's why Jesus Christ came to this earth. He died on a cross. He was buried, and he rose again because you'll never be good enough to get to heaven on your own. You'll never be good enough to pay for your own sins. You need a perfect person to save you, and the only perfect person is God, and Jesus Christ is God. And so Jesus came, he was buried, he rose again from the dead, paying for your sins and mine. And the Bible tells us when we confess our sins to him, when we ask Jesus for forgiveness, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He forgives us of our sin. Now, not only that, but the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 9 that the Holy Spirit of God comes and lives inside of you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, he says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are his. When a person receives Jesus Christ as their Savior, they stop just talking about God. They know God. Do you know God today? Do you know your sins are forgiven? Do you know that if you were to die, your eternity would be secure in a place called heaven? Or is your existence just talking about God? We live in a culture that gives a lot of reverence to God. Oh, I believe in a higher power. I believe in the man upstairs. I just believe that God would bless me. Thank God for this trophy. Thank God for this opportunity. I want to thank God that we won a sporting event. I don't want to know about God from somebody else's experiences. I want to know God. And the prophets of Baal begin to prophesy. And when they prophesy, they say, let us tell you about God. Jehovah is nowhere in the equation. Let me tell you about God. And Jehoshaphat ignores that tension. One of the wonderful things about being a Christian is that the Holy Spirit of God resides inside of you. And he will give an uneasiness, a tension, when you're about to do something you shouldn't. Do you remember in chapter number 19, the Bible says that Elijah heard the still, small voice of God? Do you remember that? God will oftentimes speak into your life, and if there's an unease, if there's a tension, you're about to do something you should not be doing, he speaks into your heart that way. Don't, don't do that. Don't go there. I heard a pastor, his name's Andy Stanley. I was reading one of his books, and he said, if you're going to have better decisions with fewer regrets, you should give attention to the tension. 
in our fast-paced, in-and-out burger, microwave popcorn kind of society, we just kind of go through. And God says, give attention to the tension. And you see that in Jehoshaphat's life. Yeah, I'm not, maybe we should, let's just see if God is in this. Do you remember the circus that happened on top of Mount Carmel? If you do, say yes. Where there was that battle between Elijah's God and the gods of the God Baal and his prophets. And you remember that circus where it was just like, and the prophets of Baal are just walking around, kind of saying, Can you get me with fire now? Can you get me with fire now? And it's just a complete cavalcade of craziness with all of those prophets of Baal. That's what unfolds here in front of Jehoshaphat and Ahab. Those 400 prophets start monkeying around and being all clown-like in all of their behavior, seeking the approval and the political favor of these would-be kings. And the Bible tells us that they all with one accord say, go, go, go. But there's a tension inside of Jehoshaphat. The Bible says in verse number 7, and Jehoshaphat said, is there not a prophet of the Lord? Notice, I want to hear what Jehovah has to say besides that we may inquire of him. Now, this is what's fascinating in verse number eight, the king of Israel, Ahab, probably my least favorite character in the Bible is this dude, Ahab. And the king of Israel said in Jehoshaphat, there is but one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him, for he doth not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. Let's hear what that guy has to say. This is fascinating. In Tomorrowland, the things that Elijah had stepped up were some years previous. It was illegal. You'd get thrown in jail. You'd be imprisoned. Your life would be taken if you were a prophet of God. Now Elijah is not worried with the small affairs of state with Ahab and Jezebel. Elijah's out training young men to be prophets. And one of his students, a guy who we've never heard of before, is a young man by the name of Micaiah. And Micaiah is now the embassy or the ambassador from the sons of the prophets to sit in the king's courts. Whenever Ahab has a tension, whenever Ahab has a conflict, it is no longer Elijah, but it's Elijah's pupil that is saying to Ahab, I wouldn't do that if I were you. That's not a good idea. When Ahab comes in from a rave or a party and he's having a headache from the experiences in the night before, he's, here's Micaiah and he says, you shouldn't have done that, king of Israel. And he reminds him that he is God's king for God's people. And Ahab looks at him and he hates him because he does not condone his bad behavior. He does not excuse the evil that he has allowed in his life. He doesn't just say, oh, he's tired. He's had a rough day. He's been married to Jezebel. He doesn't excuse the evil of Ahab. He confronts the evil of Ahab. And it's not Elijah because we're now in Tomorrowland. We're at a place where the work of God is starting to spread because one man had faith in a holy God and the work of God is moving forward. Micaiah, the Bible tells us that Micaiah comes in and as he's being escorted over to the, when he's, as he's being escorted over to the place to give advice, the guard says, man, Everyone else is saying, go, just go with the flow, just do what he says. And Micaiah stands there and sarcasm drips from his lips and he says, go, go, have a good little war, have a good time. And Ahab says, why, Micaiah, why? Just tell me what the Lord wants me to hear. And Micaiah says, 
The Lord showed me that Israel is like sheep scattered upon the mountains without any leader. And Ahab says, see, I told you. Everything, he never says anything good about me. Well, maybe Ahab, if you did something right, there'd be something good to say about you. Ahab says, get away from me. And one of the false prophets picks up some, some horns and he starts to drive at Micaiah. And he says, the, the, the Lord is going to use us to drive out Syria. And Micaiah just looks at him with all of his nonsense and his head full of horns and says, you're going to be stuck in a hole this time tomorrow. And you'll know that there is a God in Israel and I speak for him. As he's being escorted out back to a place of affliction, the Bible tells us in verse number um, 28, the Micaiah, the one who shares the word, says, if thou return it all in peace, the Lord hath not spoken by me. And you almost get the feeling as Micaiah is being thrust out the side door that he yells out, hearken, O people, every one of you. Oh, there was a word from God, Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, don't do this. Ahab, don't do this. But it's an unnecessary battle. They are ignoring the tension and Jehoshaphat is about to walk into weakness. He picks the wrong team. Look at verse number 30, 29. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up at Ramoth Gilead. He muted the warning. Stop. Today we'll have dozens of people at our house. And oftentimes when the commercials come on, we'll mute them. I just don't like when people are trying to sell me alcohol. It's just a personal thing. So I mute them. Please, no, I don't want your Bud Light because I saw what happened to people when they had your Bud Light. So I will mute you. It's a good thing to mute that which is evil, but it's a dumb thing to mute the warning. Jehoshaphat mutes the warning and they go to battle. They give, not as a band of brothers, number two, they give a bold betrayal. They're going to go exactly against what God wants them to do. Look at verse number 30. Because there's an arrogance present to say, I can go against what God wants me to do. Verse number 30 says, And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself. Notice the arrogance. The Bible tells us, let a bear, Proverbs 17, 20, this is Jehoshaphat's great-great-grandfather, says this, Let a bear robbed of her whelps meet a man rather than a fool in his folly. It is foolish to go against what you know God wants you to do. If you agree with that, say yes. If you know God says don't do it, don't do it. If you know God says you shouldn't, then you shouldn't. If you know God says you should, then you should. It is foolishness to go against what you know God wants you to do. It's just dumb. And God makes an illustration. Let a bear robbed of her whelps meet a man. Could you imagine if we took a trip and we're in Kodiak, Alaska, and we're taking a walk along and we're just doing our backpacking thing and we see a little baby grizzly bear. And we're like, that's a cute little grizzly bear. And as we're walking along, I decide I want to play with the grizzly bear. So I go over and I pick up the grizzly bear because it just looks cute and I give it a noogie on its head. And when I pick up that grizzly bear, it goes, Nyaah! I don't know if that's the sound grizzly bear babies make. Because I've never picked up a grizzly. I don't know what they say. So maybe, moo, I don't know what they say. I pick up the grizzly bear. And that grizzly bear, little baby. And what does that mama bear do really quick? 
that Mama Bear does something that no Chicago Bear ever does. It wins. (laughs) And that grizzly bear comes tearing through the bushes and the branches and the trees, and it greets us, and we sit there, and we're just like, it just doesn't want to take a selfie. And Mama Bear wants nothing with us and selfies and Baby Bear. You get it, right? A lot of people deal with the consequences of their choices because it's worse to deal with your foolishness than to deal with a mad Mama Bear. Let a bear robbed of her whelps meet a man. It's better for you to hang out with a ticked-off grizzly mama bear than a fool in his folly. Don't go in a place where you know it is wrong. There's an arrogance there, but there's also an ignorance. And I'm going to give Jehoshaphat the benefit of the doubt that he, in his ignorance, is thinking this could be a good idea. This could uh, help. This could advance the kingdom of God. There's an ignorance there. But when you read verse number 30, it's fascinating because in verse number 30, the Bible says, And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and enter into battle, but put thou on thy robes. As they're getting ready for battle... The night before, so what are you going to wear to the big battle? Oh, I've been thinking about it. Uh, I'm going to disguise myself. But you, you, you should wear all your kingly stuff. So Jehoshaphat comes to battle dressed like this. A message from the king. And as he comes in, he's beautiful and arrayed with all of his robes and apparel and, and everything. Oh, Jehoshaphat, the king is here. And I think Ahab was looking for this. But I don't think he pulled it off. I think he came out more like this. <laughs> all right, let's go to battle, guys. <laughs> and so Jehoshaphat and Ahab go to battle together. <laughs> in his jean shorts. <laughs> I just think that's so funny. Jehoshaphat and Ahab go to battle together, and Jehoshaphat's in his stately royal chariot with all of his adornment, and Ahab says, I'll be over here with the guys. I'll just be over here in Battalion 16. And as he's sitting over there and fighting over there, the king of Syria, the king of Syria is going after the king. Notice what the Bible says in Proverbs 22.3. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. A prudent man says, that could be trouble. <laughs> hey, bro, I'm going to dress in camouflage. You should wear all of your peacock clothes. Okay. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. There's a, there's a high probability of something bad happening here. Not going to do it. There's a good chance this goes sideways. Not going to do it. A prudent man foreseeth the, hybel, uh, foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. But the simple, the word simple there is the idea of ignorant. It, you, you just don't have a lot of street smarts to you. But the simple passeth on. Like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll wear my robes. I'll wear my crown too. I'll wear my new battle crown. I've been waiting to use it for a long time. These are my new skins that I got for Fortnite. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to take care of this. It's going to be beautiful. So the simple pass on, and what does the Bible say? They are what? Say it one more time. What happens? They're punished. They're punished. When they go to battle, the arrogance, 
and the ignorance meet an army. And there's going to be a great big accident that happens. But the Bible says this, that they go to fight, and all of Syria says, I don't want you to fight with all the young men. I don't want you to go for the generals. The whole battle plan is get the king. Sack the quarterback. Sack the quarterback. Get the king. Don't care about anybody else. Get the king. All out blitz. All 11 of you, go after that guy. Go get that guy, that guy alone. Because if we kill Ahab, we win. That's the battle plan. Go after the king. Who do you think they went after when the battle started? Jumping Jehoshaphat. He gets all of the attention of the army. He gets all of the focus, and all of the Syrians start chasing after Jehoshaphat and Ahab <laughs> off in the sideways in his little disguise. The Bible tells us this in verse number 32, and it came to pass when the captains and the chariots saw Jehoshaphat that they said, surely it's the king of Israel. And they turned aside to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out in the Hebrew that says, Jehoshaphat went, <laughs> in verse 33, and it came to pass when the captains of the chariots perceived that it was not the king of Israel, that they turned aside from pursuing him. Look at verse number 34. In verse number 34, you see SEAL Team 6, 7, 8, and 9 all crushing in, trying to get Jehoshaphat. But there's one little guy, his name's Willard. He can barely pull back a bow and arrow. And this little guy, he's coming into battle and he can't do anything, but he just gets his bow and arrow and he just, just with all of his might, he pulls back his bow and with all of his 16-year-old adolescent strength, he just lets it go. Well, golly, it goes and it flies and it flies and it flies and it gets lost perhaps in the fray of battle. But the Bible tells us that the battle, uh, a certain man drew a bow at a venture accidentally and he smote the king of Israel between the joints of his harness. As little camouflaged Ahab is in battle, the Bible tells us, by accident, an arrow lands between his shoulder blades. And the Bible tells us that the battle increased that day. He says, I'm wounded. And they go out. When his blood runs out in verse 35, the battle increased that day and the king stayed up in his chariot against the Syrians. And what happens to Ahab? He dies at even. Ahab dies that night. There's a few things you learn from this. As the chapter closes on Ahab's life, the Bible tells us they go in and his blood that poured out into his chariot, they wash it out and the dogs come and lick up that royal noble blood and Ahab dies. Jehoshaphat escapes by the skin of his teeth and he goes back to Judah and like, whew, that was a close one. But there was damage done. The Lord speaks into Jehoshaphat's life. If you'd like to, you can turn over to this uh, scripture a little bit later, but the Bible tells us this, that Jehoshaphat, in Second Chronicles chapter 19 and verse number 2, that Jehoshaphat is told by the um, prophet of God. He says, And let Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, say unto him, Shouldest thou help the ungodly, Jehoshaphat? Why did you help the ungodly? And love them that hate the Lord. You have no business loving them that hate the Lord. Wherefore, the wrath is upon thee 
from before the Lord, Second Chronicles chapter 19, verse 2. The damage had been done. Oh, he escapes with his life, but the damage had been done. There's a, there's a warning here that we should beware of. Number one, when you look at Ahab's life, remember this. There is a law of sowing and reaping. Galatians 6, 7 says, be not deceived. Don't lie to yourself. God is not mocked. You don't make fun of God. You can make fun of me. You can make fun of somebody else, but you will not make fun of God. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also what? You put something in the ground, you're going to get it back. Ahab, how could Ahab get shot at a venture? Because God does not get mocked. Number two, notice the process of world change. I think in the noble intentions of Ahab's life, excuse me, Jehoshaphat's life, there's a desire. We can reunite the kingdom. We can win battles against pagan kings. We can, we can, we can. But he forgot the process of world change. Do you know that God had given Jehoshaphat nine sons? Nine sons. The world would be changed through nine sons, not one carnal Christian. If Jehoshaphat had taken time to invest in his children rather than trying to change the world and unite the kingdom, he would have done a whole lot better. The Bible says in Ephesians 6:4, the priorities of a father are first and foremost, don't provoke your children to wrath, but what? Bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You teach those nine sons how to be the right type of prince. That has legs that walks for a whole long time. Don't worry about what Ahab's doing. Invest in your home. The Bible says this in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 5. How shall a man, if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Sometimes in our ambition, men, don't we say, I want to change the world, I want to grow my business, I want to achieve this status or get to this level, and we are so focused on changing the world and helping the people that it's easy to neglect the primary responsibility that if your son disobeys you when you tell him to do something, that needs correction. And if he's three years old and you tell him to stop and he continues, maybe you need to invest in spanking that little boy's behind a little bit more. And then maybe play a little bit of Legos and Thomas the Train with him and watch some, watch some Paw Patrol. Well, I've got this contract and I've got this business and these spreadsheets are due and all that's good and it's important, but maybe the way you're going to change the world is by teaching that young man how to behave. And he's only four and he's only seven and he's only nine, he's only 16 and then he's 20 and he doesn't care what you have to say. And so maybe, maybe, just maybe, world change Jehoshaphat is going to come out of investing in those nine boys that God gave you rather than trying to convince Ahab you can bring might and power into his life. How are you going to, how are you going to rule the house of God if you can't even rule your own house? If you can't go to a restaurant and have a meal without everything being chaos and being embarrassed by what the Red Robin waitress is going to say, maybe it's time to invest at home. What's fascinating is Jehoshaphat doesn't even know what's going on at the kids' table. On Decatur and Charleston, there used to be a golden corral that we spent hours at. Obviously. (laughs) 
that golden crowd, we would go there almost every Sunday afternoon, and my parents would do this, and they would talk with people, and the blessings of the Lord, and the political environment, and the weather, and they would talk about all those things, but there was something going on at the kids' table. There was always something going on at the kids' table, because at the kids' table, that's where the fun was happening, because the golden corral had unlimited ice cream, (laughs) and you should have seen the Sundays that we'd make chocolate-covered A1 sauce with cottage cheese dressing. These were the things we were doing while they were talking about their things because oftentimes you have no idea what's going on at the kids' table. When Ahab and Jehoshaphat are meeting about fixing Syria and uniting the kingdom, Jehoshaphat's son is at the kids' table. And at the kids' table is Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. And her name's Athaliah. And at first, they were just friends, but that friendship developed into a romance, and that romance entered into a marriage. And Jehoshaphat's oldest son and Ahab and Jezebel's spawn (laughs) become married. And whenever Jehoshaphat dies, Athaliah has all eight of the brothers murdered. Her husband dies, and one of the most black marks of Judah's history is when Jezebel's daughter reigns for six years as queen of Judah. Because Jehoshaphat wasn't watching what was going on at the kids' table. This past week, Christian Twitter and social media was enraged by what was going on at the Grammys when Sam Smith put horns on his head and had strippers dancing around him in a satanic cultic worship. And he sang about that which was unholy, and parents were introduced to the music that their kids have been listening to on TikTok for the last three months. Because we're not minding what's happening at the kids' table. And we allow our children to be exposed to things that are literally unholy. And we're outraged, but our Christian teenagers are singing every lyric of the song. And we give them phones. We don't monitor them. We have no idea what their accounts are because we don't know how to use these devices and we let them hang out with friends and be on FaceTime and accounts and Snapchats and who knows what is next. I was introduced on Friday to a girl who's 12 years old and pregnant. She was being pimped out by a guy that she met online here in our city. I showed the picture to my wife. We're asked, to, we're asked to help this young girl and her family. I said, look at this girl, 12 years old, being pimped out. How'd she get involved with that? Someone met her online. This is not a scare tactic. It's just, who's sitting at the kid's table with your kid? Like, who's sitting at the kid's table with your kid? Well, we want to change the world. We want to follow God. And I'm all for changing the world and following God. But sometimes there's a soberness that says, I got to be a dad And though it doesn't necessarily impress me, this five-year-old cares that Chase is on the case, and so we're going to watch some Paw Patrol together. 
and we're going to build some Legos together, and maybe we'll go throw a baseball or a football together, or we'll listen to this music. We're going to spend time together because that's the way I'm going to change the world. And I'm going to be careful about who's sitting at the kids' table. Why? You know why? Because I don't want my children to be involved with someone else's spawn. I want them to know the God that I know. I want them to know the relationship with the one who truly can change the world because he did through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and all of history was affected by that singular person. Why? Because he spoke the world into existence. His name is Jesus. If a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? You know, the last lesson we learn is this. You can't fix stupid... Ahab, how many warnings was there in Ahab's life? Like, can you go through and just like, oh, man, oh, man, oh, you can't fix stupid. If you're going to be stupid, you're going to be stupid. Doesn't matter how many warnings, you cannot fix stupid. Today is going to be a day of celebration. I challenge you to read this. I, I took too much time to go through this entire passage. But there is a conflict. Today we talk about Super Bowls and games and and there's going to be a conflict, and some of you care, and some of you don't care, and that's fine. But at the end of the day, there's going to be winners, and there's going to be losers. I want you to understand this truth, that in life there is good, there is bad, there is righteousness, there is unrighteousness, there is um, evil. And God's called us to stand for that which is right. Perhaps the most unenvious position on this day is to be Donna Kelsey. If you know who Donna Kelsey is, say yes. You may have seen some of her story this week. Donna Kelsey's son is playing for the Kansas City Chiefs. And Donna Kelsey's other son is playing for the Philadelphia Eagles. It's the first time ever that two brothers have faced off in a Super Bowl. She's got a jersey, half of them are for the Chiefs and half of them are for the Eagles. And they're never going to fight against each other. They're both on offense. So I watched an interview with her and she said, uh, they said, well, who are you cheering for? And she said, I'm cheering for the offense. (laughs) At the end of today, one of the brothers will be hoisting the Lombardi trophy. In a few months, one of the brothers is going to get a ring worth tens of thousands of dollars, and will have uh, the the notoriety of being a Super Bowl champion, and the other one will not. And there will be celebration, but whoever wins, the truth is this: if I know brothers and I do know brothers, sorry, not sorry. Hey, you know, we're the champions. Sorry, bro, you lost, but really, not sorry. In a conflict between good and evil, evil hates good, and good hates evil. There's no gray areas. Well, who wins? Sorry, not sorry. Don't you feel bad? Sorry, not sorry. We make a choice. Do we partner with right? Do we partner with wrong? What choices are you making that you will be satisfied, gratified by in the future? And where do you look at your life and say, maybe it's time to abandon that relationship 
Stop investing there because this changes the world. Thank you, Lord, for the time together today. We pray to bless and use it for your glory. May you help us apply it to our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, no one's looking around. I thank you for your kind attention today. You've listened so well, and I hope it's been a help to you. But before you leave, can I ask you this question? Do you know for sure you're going to heaven if you were to die today? Do you know with certainty that heaven would be your home? If the answer is yes, would you slip up your hand? Maybe you're hearing, if you're being honest, you say, Pastor Matt, think I would, I hope I would, but the truth is I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven, but I'd like to. Would you let me pray for you? Say, Pastor Matt, pray for me. I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven, but I'd like to. Would you let me pray for you? If that be you, would you slip up your hand? Just slip it up and put it down. Okay. If you raised your hand, if you believe the Bible's true, that Jesus is God and that you're a sinner, you can ask him for forgiveness right where you're seated, and he will forgive you. You can whisper a prayer like this that says, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe the Bible's true. I know you are God. I know I'm a sinner. And I deserve hell for my sin. But I believe you died for me. You were buried. And you rose from the dead to pay for my sin. In the best way I know how, I ask you to save me. Forgive me of my sins and take me to heaven when I die. Help me to live for you, Jesus. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love to encourage you in your walk with God. I hope you'll share that with me, either through a card or in person as the service ends. Christian, are you associating, aligning, partnering where you have no business? Have you allowed yourself to be lied to by the creep of, well, it's okay here, give up principles and priorities for some noble good. Has God challenged you today to realize, sorry, not sorry? To live by that which is important. If God spoke to you this morning, would you just take a moment between you and Him for His glory? Lord, we thank you for your word and the time together today. I pray that you'd bless it and use it and encourage us to live in light of its truths. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.